Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. All right, welcome to Tone Duff. I think this is the eighth one, which means... uh... We've done too many. I don't know what that means. It means it's the end of the fourth month. So, uh, hello, everybody. We're here with uh, the legendary Casey Bomber, author, roller derby announcer, DJ, world traveler, all-around socialite. Uh, I don't know where to start. Uh, and, you know, to just be completely honest and upfront, because uh, my publisher has me doing this because he says I know so many cool people. Well, some of the people I have on I don't just aren't just acquaintances. Uh, Casey and I are DJ partners in the amazing Shake Appeal, which is about to come back and rock your ass pretty soon down at Gold Diggers, which is an adventure in itself. We'll keep you posted on that. Keep keep your eyes peeled uh, on our Facebook pages and so forth if you're here in Los Angeles. Uh, also hanging out is uh, my wife, the unbelievable Eva Lee. She's sitting in two. Both of these girls uh, met at... Uh, a roller derby where they both became, uh, rightfully so, roller derby OG legends. And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that. Demigods. Demigods. I always forget the uh, the official term. There's a plaque on the wall to uh, to verify that, which is uh, actually right over her bed. I keep so. mine in the bathroom. Oh. And well, that, that's exalted, I suppose. I'm going to be kind of just like the Ed McMahon of this episode and sit here and drink and then laugh inappropriately. At uh, do you have Budweiser? <laughs> and you're not really doing the Ed McMahon thing right. Uh, and as is usual with the uh, Tone Duff Sessions, you will hear planes, sirens, uh, jet landing. Uh, that's really loud. I don't know what it is. I think you, we're right next to the hills and people have heart attacks up there. There are always some paramedics coming in, cops. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like, what was that show with, uh, you know, on TV? What, what was the guy's name? You know what I'm talking about? Where it was a, a rescue operation? MacGyver? No, not MacGyver. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, Rescue 1-1. One, one. I'll think of the name of the actor. He had the best name of any TV actor of all time. But. All right. All right, anyways, we got to get going here. we got to get this thing uh, motivated. Google Ed McMahon will Google that for you. Uh, <laughs> let's start off, uh, talk, since this is basically about books in general, let's uh, talk about uh, your book here, which you co-wrote with someone, which is interesting in itself. I've, I've had someone else on that wrote a book with someone else, and mm-hmm. it sounded like, quite a chore to get that together but this is down in derby and was it randy mantooth that's no, who i'm thinking of Shatner, no 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 there's a no look up randy mantooth and it'll oh, come together Jesus. anyway um tell me how this book came about and how you actually you know doled out who was going to do what to make this become a complete thing um well my my co-author uh alex cohen who is a radio host on public radio on kpcc in the mornings she and i are both uh quite the type a personalities but i'm a little more of the left brain she's a little more of the right brain so when we decided that we were writing this book um we kind of wanted to do this uh you know, kind of catch-all guide introduction to roller derby or whatever, you know, and when we 
decided to do it together, she, as she does, basically set up a, a division of labor where I did half of the chapters, she did half of the chapters, and then we would trade them and rewrite each other's chapters. And we would do that, we did that on each like four times until you couldn't really tell which one of us wrote which one. So that's interesting. So, like, what kind of changes would you put in? Like, uh, just grammar stuff, or just the flow of it, or more about more about the flow, or if one of us felt like somebody left something out, or something wasn't okay. you know reading really well. Um, like, I I don't have a lot of structure to my writing. You know, I kind of write like I talk, which is just you know on and on with plenty of tangents <laughs> thrown in. You know, as so, it comes up, exactly. As it rolls so the I kind of just let it like roll out. And then she was the person who would come in there and, and kind of like rein in my tangents. You know, it's the nice thing about, you know, I, I read screenplays for a living and I could never write them because I personally can't adhere to that kind of structure. So writing nonfiction, having somebody rein me in was a really good thing for me, actually, because also she's a stickler for schedules and I probably would still be talking about Deadlines maybe so writing that All book. Right. If it wasn't for her, so. <laughs> well, what kind of what kind of stuff were you changing in her parts? Um, being you know being a public radio hostess, uh, you know Alex is a little more kind of straightforward. You know, it's thing she would she writes you know very matter of fact in a lot of ways, like like she would deliver the news or be you know interviewing somebody on her show. So for me. I would kind of, I was kind of the fast and loose person, you know, so she was great, she'd get the facts down, and you know, not that, not that she's not funny in her own right, but I feel like, you know, I kind of loosened, loosened up the joints in, in the chapters, and she, she tightened, tightened the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed. <laughs> Ed's on fire, all she needs is a Clydesdale. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, I, I guess since it's derby, right, I mean, it should be kind of loose and fun. And right. It, you know, you don't want it to be too straightforward and matter-of-fact because it's about something that's very fun. Exactly. And uh, audience-oriented. And uh, well, you're, you're saying that maybe we've got a shrugger over here. Uh, so, I mean, you guys met at Roller Derby, so obviously, and you're still both involved, so you right. must find it enjoyable to, to some high degree, I would think. Uh, this is what I would ask. One, is there something that you feel that you left out? And two, what do you think has changed since you wrote the book? <sighs> um, I, I feel only like when we wrote our first draft, we had a few people reading the draft and like a lot of our friends were like, oh, you know, you really talk about drinking and, and things like that a lot in the book, you know, and to, to me, you know, that's one of the things that kind of has changed in Derby since the beginning. I mean, when we were just kind of making things up as it went along, when we started in 2003, you know, there weren't even rules for it redeveloped yet. So we kind of were just excited to meet a bunch of other girls, women, sorry, that were, you know, fun to party with, more or less. And then as, as we got more involved in the sport and the sport grew, then it became like much more of an athletic endeavor than it started out. And so when I was writing something, you know, about the, about Derby history for the modern Derby, you know, so much of it really was kind of us out there partying and, and doing, you know, doing all sorts of things like reliving our, 
early 20s for some of us that or teens for others I don't know but uh, yeah so you know a couple of couple of people who read the early drafts they were like oh you know you may want to rein that in a little bit and as much as reining in was certainly something that we weren't very good at at that time um, it's probably right I mean even like some people who've read it still are like oh they glorified drinking they blah 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 and you know what hey I mean, I'll glorify drinking all day long, but that's not necessarily what I'm trying to apply to Derby, so. But a lot of good books glorify drinking, <laughs> right, you know. Right. It doesn't have to be about roller derby. It doesn't even have to be nonfiction. Or, and, uh, so, and so then the thing part is, what do you think has changed since you wrote the book? Uh, like if well, you were to do an update on it, like a, re, a republish, what would, what would you change? I don't know. Honestly, it's, it, it hasn't changed a whole lot since it came out in 2010 there hasn't been a real sea change since there I think you know junior derby is a much bigger thing now than it used to be um, that 2010 was kind of a peak time really you know that was right after Whippet came out you know sadly we're missing our potential other guest Shauna who could tell us all about that but um, you know and, and Venues were selling out and, you know, Derby Doll games at that time, there were, you know, 1,500 people blowing the rafters off. And then since then, it kind of, you know, has diminished a little bit. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know where the upswing is going to be, but. What do you think caused that? I mean, I have my theories, but what do you guys, you know, having been, being in the middle of it, what would you attribute that to? Ah. <sighs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> That's a hard question. I mean, um, I would say um, the, the thing I have found, you know, is it's connecting to the sport that that isn't always accessible. Like you can't just like casually watch it on TV. Um, yeah. You might be able to catch it on a podcast, but you always have to go to a live game. I think that kind of, in a way, creates a disconnect with the fan. It becomes not just like something you're like, okay, yeah, I may go to a Broncos game, best football team in the world. Okay, but I, I'll watch them on the TV every week, you know. Yeah. And 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 sometimes all you can do with Derby is your the only thing you know about your team is your, you can get a, a Twitter cast or something like that. You know, you can't even get a live feed. So I think that you're not. Every weekend, you're watching your team or roller derby. Right. I think that kind of creates a disconnect. And then I do think that there were some complications. It's the growing pains of a sport and the fact that they had, like, you know, different strategies that weren't as engaging to fans. Right. I think it lost some people in there. Well, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would say, too, that you've got something that, that one of the major appeals to the live action was that you know i used to describe early derby dolls games like when they were on the outskirts of chinatown where you you walked into this unmarked warehouse and it felt like you were you know in some back alley border town about to go see a cockfight it was very it fight felt, club it, it felt, was very punk rock at that time yeah, too. And and it, not it, that it isn't now but not in the same way it felt highly illegal so you felt like you were doing something that was illicit and so the magic was of that kind of you know earlier part of modern roller derby so like 2003 to 10 11 let's say was still that feeling of you know that kind of punk rock diy everything was it seemed a little shady maybe you know seemed very dangerous 
And it, I mean, you can't really maintain necessarily a sport like that when you have, you know, when you have people who are skating for, you know, five, ten years, they're going to get better. They're going to get better at it. So the sport's going to become higher quality, going to become more serious. And without the support like you're talking about, you know, you can't tune in on TV, although, you know, the flat track champs are on ESPN3. That is they true. They will be the first weekend of November. Is that a first? Nope. Second year this year. So. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I, I did not know and, uh, that. Well, I mean, because I do remember there was a fair amount of talk about it all it seemed like for a while it was almost about ready to you know go on tv and it become covered regularly at least locally which would kind of make sense that you know some channel would at least do the local teams you know and like once a week or twice a month or something yeah. but it just never came to be and i think that is a bit of a disconnect now, i don't know why I, mean, it, I can't imagine people wouldn't enjoy watching it well i think i think having a mainly volunteer run sport i mean some people do have some leagues do have a, a, a full-time employee. I mean, trying to work those deals, that's a job. And, you know, and it's like when you have somebody who's working their 9 to 5, whatever, 10 to 6, however many hours job, and then trying to do these things on the side and go to practice, I mean, that's going to take away from it. Right, right. But every Derby Doll team has at least one lawyer skating. <laughs> I would, right? imagine, yeah. I would imagine every roller derby league in the entire world probably has at least one lawyer yeah. skating. Yeah, because sure. if I was a lawyer, I'd want to skate derby. <laughs> like, hell yeah. It, yeah, that's... Let's see, that's a way to blow off some steam, that's for sure. So, I mean, a lot of people listening to this, you know, so we've covered a lot of music, we've covered a lot of stuff about publishing and writing. A lot of people are probably not necessarily filled in on exactly what Derby's all about. How did you guys stumble into it and what kept you there? Um, well, I embarrassed myself horribly with a lady. Um, this is my, my Derby origin story. Like, kind of, um, Kind of like that scene in the movie Swingers where he just leaves all of those messages on the woman's oh, answering great, machine yes. and just you know it just kind of keeps going and you oh feel my, really terrible so for him. <laughs> so I had one of those experiences and I left a very long rambling message for somebody that I was barely dating, and uh, at the end was like, so I guess I won't be hearing from you again, and then hung up the phone and unsurprisingly I didn't. So immediately upon hanging up the phone, I thought to myself, oh, I need a, I really need a hobby. Um, and a friend of mine, as, as it turns out, had given me a phone number for um, Demolicious, who uh, was one of the founders of the Derby Dolls, and said, oh, my friend is starting this Derby League. Like, because I was dressing like roller derby girl for Halloween and I was like really obsessed with like the 70s roller derby movie so I was always kind of jokingly threatening like the only reason I'm doing this job is because roller derby doesn't exist and then when he's like oh hey roller derby exists I'm like shit like realizing I'm gonna have to try to do this you know and otherwise I'm gonna look like a big giant pussy you know so Anyway, so somewhere in between those two factors, you know, I decided that I would just pick up the phone and and call and when I showed up, um, your wife, your lovely wife, was one of the first people. You were already there. I walked in the door. She was. 
I don't know how you beat me by a couple weeks or so, right? I, you know, it's funny because I always thought you'd beat me, but I think I no. think you're right. I think I did beat you. No, but you knew you someone who was doing there. it somewhere else. Yeah, so, so I I it? found it because I was in well, I was in Austin, and my um, I was with my um, my uh, sister from another, Mr. Bonnie, and she was telling me about Austin roller derby, and me yeah. and her. We grew up uh, together in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and we'd roller skate around, pretend like we were Charlie's Angels doing roller derby, and it was great. And uh, I was like, I'm so jealous that I can't do this. And then, like, within a month, somebody posted on Friendster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, anyone want to join roller derby? I'm like, yeah, I want to join roller derby. And I'd recently bought a pair of these horrible Skecher skates. I remember those skates. And uh, I had been skating around my uh, patio, or courtyard area and uh yeah i went to practice um one of the first people i met was molly hatchet oh yeah who is now managing the band fish i believe oh fish now with She's a p uh, uh, tour managing uh anyway but it was i was just instantly into it and then i will never forget the first time i saw you and i just saw there's just something in your eyes i'm like oh this person she has to be my friend without a doubt and uh but yeah and it just kind of hit like that and and to think that we've like both of us even though we're not skating anymore and we've had this involvement for 13 years it speaks volumes about it and then demolicious you know you're mentioning her she's not even uh, she has retired from the league and we were texting this week and uh She's actually going to come with me to my mammogram on oh Tuesday and hold up pictures of kittens to make me less <laughs> nervous so I got to say people only through roller derby can you meet a woman who will come with you to your mammogram and hold up pictures of kittens to make you feel less nervous. Well, I don't, you know, when you and I met uh, there, I was, you know, I mean, part of you said what keeps you there after all this time, you know, it's uh, even, I haven't, you know, I haven't skated competitively and all what eight years seven years but i've been announcing for angel city derby while she's announcing for the derby dolls so both of us are still you know highly involved um i got a game saturday <laughs> there you go i've got a you know like i met you and about a week later before we decided we were going to go see the first game that they were that the arizona league was skating this legendary um debaucherous van trip that we ended up taking but when we were <laughs> planning to do it you walked up to me and thorazine another one of the founders of the league and you said who are you riding with and i said i don't know and then Thor said, who asked you, who are you riding with? And you said, I don't know. I, I'm riding with whoever she's riding with because I want to ride with her. And then Thor was like, well, I want to ride with you too as well. You know, so it was just kind of like I had lived in L.A. at that point for, what's that, 2003, six years. I had maybe two female friends in the entirety of Los Angeles, and I'd always grown up with a bunch of girlfriends. And within a week you know there's just these people who are like well i want to be around you you know so i just had that kind of feeling like oh good i found you know i found my people and they're people who you know are gonna like the joke is like they'll hold your hair back when you're throwing up on the sidewalk make sure nobody else takes a picture but also make fun of you endlessly for the next right. 12 years about it so and they'll do that physically and emotionally you can verbally <laughs> vomit and the thing about that is i remember luckily i have a husband who works with touring bands so i knew a good resource to get an enterprise um 
rental van and we <laughs> had a true. sober doll to uh, drive. But the best part is stopping somewhere between here and Phoenix and literally every girl in the van buying their own fifth of Jim Beam. Blythe. We bought every, <laughs> every fifth of Jim Beam that they had in the liquor store in Blythe, California. Wow. And that's a good endorsement for Jim Beam as opposed to the often more, you know, high-ranked Jack Daniels. Yes. So interesting. I mean, my first real memory of it, because I, you know, I was hearing all the stories from Elsa at home, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I go, oh yeah, yeah, okay. And when I finally went to a game, it was at the Chinatown place, and you know, I'm by myself, of course, because she's already in there doing. So it's sort of like her coming to one of my gigs. So that's sort of detachment that you're gonna connect later. And so I'm in line, almost ready to go in, about ready to step through the door and see what this was all about. Then I hear this, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and I turn around and there's three guys with like, you know, EMT stretchers coming through and I'm like, oh, I didn't need to see that because I'm just imagining, you know, my wife being carted out on an EMT stretcher and sure enough, someone at the game got, I remember, got pretty hurt. And definitely in those early games, there were many more, you know, on the sidelines, you know, doctors hanging over somebody she's okay and then everyone would cheer you don't see that very much anymore which is good you don't want to see people uh, getting maybe hurt maybe not at derby dolls games but flat track has has lots of emt moments yeah we had one the other day but i mean the the thing is though that um that i feel that's so different from then is just you know how many i mean the fact you wrote a book and you know talking about whip it and um, it's a shame that um shauna uh maggie may and cross couldn't be here i mean you were a trainer on that movie and that yeah. was itself like such I was lucky enough to fly with 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 mayhem I can't call her Shauna uh, out to Detroit to spend some time on the set unfortunately it was a time when you were out and and uh, axles were was straight although that was fun in itself um, but it was just the most one of the most amazing experiences of my life because they having her write that movie it was just like walking on that says like yeah. walking on your life and and uh, you got to be a trainer well, it's, you know, I, I think that you think about something like Roller Derby as this um, kind of epic uh, tangent in your life. You know, that's it's like the detour that you take from the things that you think that you're put here to do, you know, and you find this thing and it becomes incredibly consuming for, uh, you know, years and years and years and still to some degree, you know, but then you kind of find that accidentally, and I think that this holds true for a lot of people who have been in roller derby, because it's not just, you know, you're not showing up to play kickball on the weekends. You're practicing three times a week. You're building a business in order to sustain the league. So, you know, if you, hey, you do a little bit of web design, great. You're gonna do, you're gonna do our website. Oh, you're interested in marketing? Here you go. Like, I have so many friends that I've met through roller derby that have completely changed their career path because of things that they learned in their roller derby leagues. Um, and, you know, I would have, was thinking about, you know, Shauna writing Whip It, you know, writing the book that then became Whip It, even though she kind of, they came together. But it's that thing where it's like, you know, she's always gonna be a writer. She's obviously a writer, she's a wonderful writer. But roller derby, you know, they say, write what you know, you know, and, and finally, like for me and, and down in derby, it's like I finally know something that's interesting enough that somebody else is going to want to read about it, you know? Nobody wants to, wants to read about my 
you know, winning a $50 bet by getting Debbie Gibson's autograph, but they're going to read it. But that's a good story within itself. (laughs) That's a different story for a different time. But um, yeah, so, you know, I feel like it kind of, it's this epic detour that somehow brings people back to where they're supposed to be and much farther along than they expect. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any more questions about roller derby. Well, if I you don't. I do have one question. I go have. go for it. Okay, because this is you know this is Los Angeles, and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this, but the fact that you have read screenplays for a living to offer critiques, mm-hmm. I just want to say to use this opportunity to ask you what advice would you? Because <laughs> I hear so many amazing. There are stories. a lot of people that listen. But to I mean, but this is this thing. is a writing oriented thing, and I'm sure some people who write books also write screenplays. What advice would you give to them? Um, here's one here's one piece of advice that I would give, and and I I have been reading screenplays um, and doing script consulting for about 14 years. And there are a lot of screenplays that you read that you know immediately somebody wrote that because one of their well-meaning friends or relatives said, oh my God, you should totally write your life story because it's so <laughs> wonderful. And, and Re- you Really? That's like a thing that you pops up all fairly? All the time. Really? And I will say most of the time your friends are just being nice. Um, I'm not trying to diminish anybody's life as being worthwhile or interesting, but what makes a script is pretty specific. Like, I feel like it it's really takes a lot of heart and time and, and effort to sit down. And, and I admire anybody who puts that time into finishing a script and, and making that finished product. But it, it's worth it when you're writing a true story to run it by a stranger, run it by a stranger, you know, like that helps because I, you know, I feel, unless it's a cathartic thing, you know, I do read a lot where I feel like somebody is writing that, definitely writing it for themselves, in which case. But it seems like if you were writing something for yourself, this is just me as a writer who, you know, did it for a bazillion years for pay, you know, just cranking out garbage for magazines. you know, when you actually sit down and do something for yourself, it seems like you're going to do it in more of a either poetry or prose type format. Seems like I'm going to write this story, and you know what? I'm going to put it into yeah. a script. I'm like, right. that seems very difficult and like very easy to get off where you started into right. some kind of like sidetrack. Well, and I think about you know the thinking about writing writing screenplays or just writing in general, but the screenplays particularly, like. If you're comparing it to, say, a musician, you know, say you're learning how to play guitar, you know, maybe maybe you'll be fine if you're self-taught and you don't know anything about music theory, you don't know what a scale is, you don't know whatever, you can play some chords. Perhaps you'll make something, you know, new and wonderful and fantastic. But even still, you know, you have to practice your craft. And the more you practice, the better you get. And I think that you know, listening to music and reading about music and understanding how music is made ultimately is going to make you a better musician. Well, you know, writing isn't any different. It, but I feel like in, in the creative arts, it's just that kind of thing. Like nobody, nobody who's waiting at a table goes when someone's like, oh, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a waiter, but I'm really an astronaut. You know, <laughs> but they'll say, 
I'm a waiter, but you know, I'm really, I'm really a writer. Oh, you know, what, what have you written? Well, I'm working on a screenplay. You know, oh, did you know, did you go to school? For, no, no, no. You know, I mean, I think that it, it seems like, like creativity can can spring out of nowhere, but I do think that it's something that has to be cultivated. You know, so a lot of screenwriters, I get something. I mean, the, just the basics, like uh, know how to format a screenplay. If you use the wrong font and it looks wrong, whoever you give it to isn't even going to look at the first page. You know, you could have the most brilliant thing in there, but chances are, if you don't know how to format it, you probably don't know how to write a screenplay. Which I would assume that's something you can just like Google in Absolutely. about 10 seconds and find the whole thing laid out for yeah. you. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of software that can make that really easy for you. I mean, it's not cheap, but... Yeah, I actually, I had someone tell me, I've had a couple people say, my life, I should make into a screenplay. I'm like, my life should be an episode of Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes short form is okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, um, okay, are you, I know you're probably under some, like, I don't know if you're under certain requirements, but are you allowed to share any, like, the dumbest script you've ever read? Oh, I don't, I don't even, I, I couldn't even start to think about what the dumbest script was I ever read. I try to forget them pretty soon after I read that. I mean, because I kind of imagine it like, you know, Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel looking for springtime for Hitler. Like, you just keep going right. through these, like, oh my God, they can't get any worse. Oh wait, it just did, we got right, it. Right, right. Well, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I, I read, oh, okay, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you about one, and, and hopefully this writer is <laughs> not ready. listening, but, and I'll, I'll, I'll protect, you know, <laughs> protect the innocent here as much as I can, but, so there's a script that I had to read, um, and a couple of my friends who, who read for the same service have also read this. We've all read this several times. And so wait, that he has been resubmitted he over. He keeps now? submitting it for notes, but he he's one of those writers who I'm not sure why he does because he's not changing anything. Um, it it's essentially you know so picture if you will a scene of the most expert Navy SEALs in the entire world. Um, and one of those happens to be a woman. So what they're oh, doing... Oh, Jane! I thought. No, no. <laughs> so what they're doing is uh, having kind of war games, you know, to, to train these SEALs. And there's two different teams against each other. So, you know, one of them seems to be winning. But then the other team, all of a sudden the woman, who of course is stunningly beautiful, emerges from a lagoon naked like a la Ursula Andress without the bikini and all of the Navy SEALs on the other team are agog at how beautiful she is and they lose because all of her male teammates come up behind them and shoot them with the paintballs. So <laughs> to me, like I'm not saying this is the worst script I've ever read but it's one that sticks in my mind because it's that thing where it's like this woman is supposed to be one of the most skilled Navy SEALs in the United States, but the best weapon she's got is her tits. <laughs> and the other Navy SEALs are apparently so taken aback by naked breasts that they get shot in the back. That they can no so, longer perform so their... So this, this, I hate to say, uh, really says nothing for our national security quality. So, <laughs> you know, it's and the, the script... The name of it, you know, like we had, I made my friend a t-shirt for Christmas that said, you know, um, I read blah, blah, blah three times and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Right. 
So like that kind of. Thing. So wait, that's how the that's how the thing started. That's how it started. Yeah. Okay, so very. There was there was some kind of Nazi lesbianism later well, on. Of course. It was very, very uh, fantasy based. Wow, and I'm guessing it was written by a man. Uh yes, of course, okay. of course. I mean, and there's there's you know there's like some that are just. I I had to write, ten pages of notes to a fellow reading his script about five times and one of the notes that it was a one of the notes that I gave him was your script would probably be more marketable if less children got raped okay good point yeah so, I think that's kind of you would think that would be sort of obvious but I, you know hey you know I mean that seems that way right yeah I guess uh, you know so okay so when you were doing this it kind of triggered something in my head when your notes go out does someone before they get to the client does someone review what you've written yeah yeah, yeah. okay so i have kind of you know handlers. there's a filter yeah. no because i used to work for uh, a company called taxi <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you know what that is no. you got in so much trouble oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's a company that like uh, you sign up for it as a music you pay a monthly or annual due i forget what it is uh -huh. and then you can send in like for five bucks a time a song or something to to fill in these uh, these quests that people are look oh, we're looking for or something that's a Nirvana ripoff whatever it is so there'd right. be these things that they would put out to their uh, to their members and this is what we're looking for if you got it send it in and like what made me think of it is like you would see the same guys over yeah. and over and doing the same thing and. Um, yeah, I eventually got fired, and they go, "You're just being—you can't say these things to this people." <laughs> yeah. There was one I wrote uh, to this guy, "Nice distorted everything," and they go, "You can't say that." I'm like, uh, but <laughs> It's—I mean, it's—it's really—it's um, nice that I have, you know, I have a number of friends who who do do the same, uh, do the same. So every now and then, we'll definitely have those evenings where we're sitting around somebody's kitchen table with some pretty heavy liquor. Um, recounting some of the the worst and best that we've read. Um, you got to write that down, Darlin. It it's it's pretty. It can be pretty entertaining. I mean, I have read some pretty amazing scripts as well, but you know, most of them. Are have you ever read one that kind of came by your way and then a couple years later did become a movie? Not one single time. Wow. So I mean, what does that say? Does that mean, in a way, kind of going back to what I did with you know? People that would join the the organization I was, you know, viewing for didn't have a. We were like gatekeepers. They didn't have a way in. They didn't have mm -hmm. a connection. So if they had done right. something cool, they didn't have anyone to hand it off to and go, "Hey, let's get something right. happening." So they use this organization. I would assume it's kind of mm -hmm. the same thing with people. Yes. Maybe not in the entertainment capital of the world and trying to like get a connection yeah. somehow somewhere. Well, I know you know I have I have read screenplays that have been optioned and then just didn't make it past that show okay you know that deadly bermuda triangle for screenplays um i mean the best script that i ever read i read i probably 13 years ago and i still remember it really really well and that got optioned and just died on the vine which was a tragedy um you know some of i you know i've read for judged screenwriting contests and same thing, you know. A lot of the winners have have uh, had their scripts optioned, but you know, one of the one of the things that ended up turning out, you know, especially I think if you're an aspiring screenwriter, like script contests aren't a bad thing because if you are able to 
you know, win one, then getting representation, maybe that script won't get, maybe that script won't get made. But at least someone kind of you know, check somebody's you out. gonna, yeah. somebody's gonna put their eye on on that script, and even if that one doesn't go, then you know, you have somebody who can help you a little farther up the ladder sure. because you can get an agent or a business manager, you know, interested in you when you place in those right. contests. Well, kind of looping around about about that, when you guys did the book. Um, were you represented prior to writing it, or how did that? How did you draft it out first, or have an outline, or go get an agent? What was your procedure? Well, I mean, we we lucked out in that regard. Uh, we do have a nonfiction agent, um, a really amazing guy named Ted Weinstein in San Francisco, who Alex happened to know from when she lived in San Francisco and she said maybe my friend Ted he's an agent maybe he can help us you know to figure out what we need to do to make this happen and our you know our aim wasn't necessarily to ask him to represent us we were just hoping that we would get some advice from him so he sent us a couple of examples of book proposals so we put a proposal together we didn't write the whole book um, you know, in a proposal, essentially, you know, you can you can Google up what, you know, the elements are of that, but, you know, you kind of write an introduction about what you want to write, and then you include one or two sample chapters, you analyze what other books are like it on the market, um, some supplemental things you might be able to offer with the book, you know, maybe you know like with yours it's like maybe you know that could come with like some performances or some you know like like that kind of thing like what ways to help market yeah exactly and and then the you know that sort of thing um so we floated that by him he gave us some examples and and said you know hey i'll take a look at your proposal and and give you some advice on how to tighten it up if you know if you need any and which was really nice of him and we wrote the proposal, sent it to him. He gave us a couple of tips to make it a little stronger and said, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, honestly, if, if you want, I'd be happy to represent you. And both of us are just kind of done and done. You know, we were happy to, happy to let him do that. And he did a great job. So once we had him helping us out, he took that proposal and shopped it around to a bunch of different publishers that he's worked with and just, you know, to see if there was any interest or, or any offer. And that's how we found um, Soft Skull in New York, um, which has since folded, sadly. But uh, Oh, really? Still, yeah, so is this still in print or no? Uh, it is still in print because it was a subsidiary of CounterPoint that's still that was the the parent so counterpoint still puts it out mm -hmm. so yeah so okay. counterpoint still has that book in their stable yeah it's a funny thing i mean i know people that have had book reprints but still aren't even considered recouped um we we luckily did we did recoup but i mean i'll tell you you know it's it's funny if anybody anybody's like oh did you make a bunch of money off that book wow you know you wrote a book it's like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's funny. Um, you know, we were lucky. We got we got an advance for it to work on it, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was not anything staggering or, or, you know, neither of us were quitting our jobs by any means. Was it like when I traded you my bicycle for a bottle of Jameson? Close to that, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, something story. like bicycle, bicycle Jameson. I literally um, traded exchange. my bicycle that I was terrified to ride in Hollywood 
to Jennifer Case <laughs> Palmer Barbie for a bottle of whiskey. It's true, and I was happy to make that trade. I don't I, think that's a bad deal. I, I, th- I thought it was a great deal. Um, was it Maker's? No, yeah, Jameson. Jameson. Alright, you want to have me negotiate for you next time? I mean, come on. No, it's a fancy bottle of Jameson. It was a good bottle of Jameson. Okay. Though, not okay. just your basic bottom shelf Jameson. All Give right. me some credit, Bruce. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, we got a bit of an advance, which we essentially just turned around to travel and do readings. And that then we did sell enough to recoup what they put out so you know every now and then i get maybe thirty dollars in the mail a couple times the dream. a year i think it's all great and that's that's a good thing you know i i still like getting those checks i like that it's still out there even if there's only a few being sold i think it's on its third printing oh so, so that's yeah. amazing well i imagine it's got more than a lot of things it's got kind of a built-in audience yeah. because all these new girls coming to skate, this is like their Bible. They oh, I mean, I'm when my friend's daughter started skating, I was like, you know, mm-hmm. and she was a teenager, I'm like, I gotta buy a copy. Right. And it tells you everything it. you need to know. Yeah. For yeah. the fan or the skater. Right. Okay. But probably more for the skater, but I think, I mean, it's so funny when you're at the game and there's people, oh, wait a minute, why did that happen? What's going on? I don't understand. And you explain it to them, they kind of start to get it. Oh, I just got a copy of Keanu Reeves as an, our new fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, he asked a lot of questions. He, he like, totally, uh, totally, you know, got Jackie Nimble on a, a chokehold and just grilled her on Derby, so maybe I should get him Well, she was coming to the, the stands one night, and uh, there was these three women in front of me that had never been before and they just asked her all these questions she goes you know what this guy's sitting behind you he can tell you all this stuff oh you're like thanks <laughs> thank you yeah it was fine thanks a lot yeah, i was happy to help um she says, oh yes there is something else i want to ask uh if i'm remembering correctly and you had earlier said that you, it was good that you worked with axles because she you know mm-hmm. punched you into deadlines uh, I know you're working on a music-related book. How yeah. is that coming along? Do you even want to talk about it? Do um, we don't no, spill the beans? I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, this one is, I mean, I, I wish that I had an axles on my shoulder for this one, too. Um, it, it's a little bit more difficult. The, the nice thing about the roller derby book is that, you know, I've that experience is built in. There's, there's very little you know, researching that really had to go in that other than just sure. for the history chapter and like checking some facts because, you know, this is, we, we were living this, so that was pretty easy. But my, you know, as you mentioned, we DJ together. So music is definitely my other passion. And uh, I have been collecting female fronted punk rock records for some time and decided that I wanted to try to figure out if I could catalog every single one every single female fronted punk rock post-punk record that was put out between 1976 and 1989 so i figured i decided that i was going to do this about maybe three or four years ago i started thinking about it and um you know fairly quickly realized that there was no fucking way that that's I a lot of ever records going to find and you're gonna miss something and and you know it's like for every answer i have to my own questions i have three more questions like where do you draw the line you know is this punk would this be punk rock what what is punk rock what's post-punk where's the cutoff what's the cutoff between post-punk and new wave so you, you know i mean slut, it's, sluts for hire is all i need to so, know yes yeah, so there's, there. there's a lot of um <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in the cloud but i mean the the, the basic 
gist of it is that even though now I've figured out I'm not going to find all of these things, I have compiled at this point a list of just over 1,400 bands that, that fall These into aren't that, records. These are separate artists. Separate artists that fall into that category, you know, to my satisfaction. It will be... You know, by my definitions, it'll be narrowed down probably, you know, as as I kind of change my mind on some of them. But, you know, that's kind of the catch-all right now. I've got over 1,400 bands. Um, and what I would like to do is write an encyclopedia. So something, you know, just, just part of the reason why I'd like to do it is because I was thinking about, okay, so uh, the British Library has a... British punk exhibit going on right now and it's uh, going on for the whole year and with it there's people coming and having you know discussions and they're getting bands back together to do performances like the Raincoats did a performance so they recently had uh, Viv Albertine from the Slits come mm -hmm. and do a talk and she walked in you know and I just read this online about a month ago and thought it was brilliant um, she walked in and there's the plaque outside describing, you know, what is punk rock? Essentially said, you know, punk rock is a style of music, da da da, you know, from this day to this date. And it said, as exemplified by bands like the Sex Pistols, the Clash, and the Damned, or the Buzzcocks, or whoever they used. And so she's walking in to give this talk and she's reading what punk rock is. And still here you have, you know, 12 white men in three bands that I'm certainly not diminishing their importance, but there's still no woman on there. There's no Susie Sue, the Slits. You know, the Slits were playing with the Clash sure. like all along, and Susie was huge, and, you know... Yeah, where's your the, Alice Bag? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, well, this, yeah, is this is they're going British, way a little bit so, oh, so um, you know, I mean, and not to mention, sure, what, what was happening in the States, but so when, after her discussion... She walked out and she was signing, you know, she just wrote this really awesome book called, uh, what is it, music, I can't remember the order, music, 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 boys, clothes, 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 boys, 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 or whichever, yeah, whichever yeah. the order. I've read a review of it, it's, it's good. It's incredible, it's a, like an absolute must read, um, just, just, there's so few books out there told in, you know, a woman's voice about their experience in, in this particular genre of music, and, and she's an excellent writer. But so she walked out and somebody wanted to get her autograph on the book and she borrowed the Sharpie and added notes to the outside plaque and put an arrow and wrote, and the slits, and Susie and the Banshees, and the raincoats. Thanks, Viv Albertine. You know, which to me is A, pretty punk rock. Pretty punk and, rock. And B, making a great point. So when I, like, I think about that story, that's really kind of what motivates me in wanting to to put this together because you know a friend of mine that I was talking to about it I said you know I feel like there's because I've got there's 1400 bands that I have on this list but you know you read music history or people talk about music history and and women are pretty eradicated from it you know I always thought as a kid that it just didn't exist and my friend said well it's not that they're erased it's that they were never considered and I said oh you know that's a that's a nice way to put that you know they just weren't even considered to you know be documented as being part of this movement so you know it's like i want to have something that's thick enough and head like a heavy enough mother of a book that if somebody was like well there just weren't that many people you know there just weren't that many women in punk rock and somebody can just take that book and go 
funk, yeah. Oh, yeah? Well, and it'll also probably cause a lot of, uh, you know, more reissues to happen. I, I've noticed I that so. uh, not so much with the punk stuff, but going back to, like, late 60s and so forth, I've been picking up a lot of stuff that I didn't know about that maybe not all girl bands, but girl-fronted bands mm -hmm. or, you know, co-ed bands, whatever. Uh, I just, I've been seeing a lot more of it lately. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because people are just now finding it or, you know, I don't know what the reason is. But I have noticed that uh, there's increased interest and in it. it seems like a, a lot more of it's coming out. Yeah. Plus, I think it's a thing, like you said, you know, people just haven't excavated it. You know, there's only so many, you know, back-to-the-grave bands from 1967 right. you can find. Right. Sometimes I would get these CDs and i go, I think someone's just making this shit in the four-track in their bedroom. It's, yeah. it's only yeah. a week old. Like you didn't do that? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I do know people that have done yeah. that. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it, this is a new phase of like, okay, right. this is the new thing to unearth. And I, and I could easily see the stuff you're uh, getting ready to chronicle becoming like a whole, yeah. you know, series of CDs, like... Well, you know, and, and I'm just, I mean, I would, I would love for that to happen. I would love for these bands to get recognized. I mean, that's that's the love for it for me is just that I think people should hear this music because the it's, you know, you, you think like there's this, you know, it's a record collector. You certainly know, know what I'm talking about. But, you know, just because you've never heard of it doesn't mean that there's not really great things out there. Sure. You know, you're, I'm constantly finding things that I'm like, how have I not heard of this before? Well, this so is much the of that stuff was localized. Like the gets, the gets for me. I'm like, how did I never know about? And the you gets? knew about them more after the tragedy hit. Yeah, I didn't know about the gets. When until... they when they hit the news, they you know people knew right. more about them, which is a shitty way for it to go. But sometimes that's how it goes. I had no idea. And like a lot of these things you're probably digging up are probably I'm guessing. You know, so you may, if you were in Boston, you might know a few of the bands because right. they put out 500 yeah. singles right. in Boston. If you're in Philadelphia, you exactly. probably didn't know about them. Exactly. And it, it, it is extremely regional. And, uh, you know, in, in looking at, at, you know, old old uh, show ads in, in newspapers and, and weeklies, you know, free weeklies from cities during that time, you know, kind of scouring it and seeing who some of these bands are that I've never heard of, It you know, it, it's... I, I can get lost in the wormhole really easily, and and part of part of it too is that a lot of those bands. I mean, honestly, they didn't even put out a seven inch. Like you can't. So, I'm, like, how do you? You can't really chronicle that as easily as you know. For me, what I'm trying to cover are things where you actually can get a physical representation of that music. So even if it's one seven inch, I mean, I I have like you know, 10 or 11 seven inches by bands that never put out another seven inch that, you know, at least like six of those are some of my favorite in the genre, you know, that are incredible. You and know, it's their be their best two songs yeah, that they ever exactly. came up with. Exactly. So, you know, I, and, and being, being the, uh, obsessive record purchaser that I am, as you know, it's, part of part of my biggest problem is that it, I have to I feel like it's not enough for me to like have heard it I want to have it all sure so that's thing. you know so I'm just constantly acquiring as right. much as I can on top of what so I will you be like reaching out to these people to try to yes. get quotes and it's not just like a critical overview you're gonna right. try to get some participation well, I don't I don't really want to do necessarily a critical overview at all it's more just kind of um, just a little bit about each band because they're I'll probably end up including like 500 bands at least 
in the book. So, you know, I, I want to to give space to those bands, but I might I'll probably do breakouts with some interviews with with 500. Some people. You know what? I have a great book for you to look at I to was kind of the exact same thing. <laughs> now, well, we'll talk over, about it afterwards. Uh, yeah, over in this bag there's this book called no, no, 500 no, 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 Rock no, no, Bands. No, we're going to show you afterwards. Okay, we can't talk about it. We that why much. can't we talk? All right. <laughs> it's yeah. a forbidden topic, the 500 Rock Band book. Okay. All right, well, you know what? I think this is a good spot. Wait, wait, wait. No, you got I, one more? I, I have one more. I got to do a little high fidelity. High fidelity. High fidelity. Is that the name of that movie? Yeah. Okay. Top five. Top five what? Wow, you guys are DJs. Pick one category and do a top five for music. On the spot. Yeah, on the spot. Nice going. Well, and I just think it could be your top five songs, top five albums, top five bands. I just want a top five. Hmm. Top five of the 500 you're kind of going through. Oh, geez. Um, well, I'll tell you, let's see. One thing that I listen to all the time is uh, the Brat Attitudes EP. Um, East L.A., baby. Incredible East L.A. punk band. I mean, you know, a little, really melodic, uh, super catchy. I mean, I'll admit that... And underappraised. So underappreciated. I, I love that. Like, the second that I heard that for the first time, I was completely in love with it. And that's definitely one of those albums that I was like, how has this not been in my life, you know, my whole life? And, uh, you know, part of why I want to write the book is because if I was 18 years old and somebody put that book in front of me, then it probably would have changed my life. It would have taken me a lot less time to come about these things. I mean, not that I'm not somebody who enjoys the research, but um, let's see. Uh, uh, the Raincoats first album is probably my gateway into all of this. It's the first that I heard um, pretty much anything by Fastbacks. I love the Fastbacks from Seattle. Mm -hmm. They're great. Um, so many. All right. Uh, no one, I'll, well, I'll tell you. So one of my favorite forty fives. This is a uh, this is a case of it being this band's only forty five, and I can find nothing about this band whatsoever. Uh, it's a uh, Oh shit! <laughs> I'm totally blanking. This is song. It's by this band called uh, Disturbed, but not that Disturbed. Uh, um, called I Don't Believe, and it's such an amazing 45. But and the band's called Disturbed. I feel like I'm not getting that right. I, I my memory is Swiss cheese. But uh, yeah, well, yes. join the club. Yeah, it's I'm I'm pretty positive. No, and you should talk slower because it's giving Bruce time to formulate his answer. Oh, good. good. <laughs> that, that record is really good. Um, oh, I'm not gonna do it. Why not? Oh, because because uh, we're running out of time here. Let's just call it four then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I can do like it. Top five albums I bands I listen to: Van Halen, Bathory, yeah. Nail Bomb, yeah. The Gits. Uh huh. I guess Lightning Bolt. Okay. Oh, yuppie pricks! There you go. There you go. There yeah, you I go. did it for. I, I represented the dogs. Yeah, I mean, see, you get, put me on the spot, and then I do a horrible job of representing. I thought you did. I literally only listen to less than ten bands. So <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, pretty easy for me. Yeah, well, I, I'll I'll throw X in there because you know, I mean, I I I'm a total West Coast oh, punk man. person yeah. too. You know, you just can't go wrong, and he's still like. Yeah, that's totally one of those bands that you can still see today, and they're just like, 
you know, they'll play a two-hour set. You hear and, Los and Angeles. Not, and not, a, not a bit of filler in the whole thing. No, they got wow. enough material to make it nice they're and solid. They're incredible. Yeah, so, yeah. They're, they're a long-time favorite. Okay, now the telemarketers are calling. Yeah. No, no, is this a call-in show? Yeah. yeah. No, actually, that'll be, a, uh, that'll be someone wanting to do a, a, you know, a survey. Tell them to have sessions. Do you have a question? <laughs> All right. It's quite clear that we need to cut this off at this point. I'd like to thank uh, my wife for stepping in her evil evil Ed McMahon role. And, of course, Casey Bomber, always a pleasure. We'll be spinning the wheels pretty soon again. Thank you for coming over and doing a... I mean, this was a hell of a job. 55 minutes is where we top out, and you filled them all up with uh, nonstop roller derby rock and roll action. So uh, thank you very much. Say goodbye to everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Up next time, photojournalist Brenda Perlin. <laughs>